jumping into the book of Revelation starting January 2021. I encourage you guys to be uh, preparing your hearts for that. Uh, you know, no matter how many times you've done the study or if you've never done the study or how many times you've read the book of Revelation or you've avoided the book of Revelation, this is going to be a very, very just beneficial overall time for everybody, I believe, in the body of Christ. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. Guys, you don't, I mean, this is one of, one of the most fascinating studies because it, it's really a study of the whole scripture. It's really the study of the whole work of redemption from beginning to end. That's why he's called the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. So the, uh, the book of Revelation is the culmination of all of those things. The bringing to the point of the end of human history or the end of this age is what we would call it, what we would call it. And guys, um, there's so much benefit for us, practically speaking. Whether we're living in the generation to live to see the great tribulation and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ or not, it doesn't matter because this book is going to be so uh, good and so beneficial for all of us. So I'm very excited about that. You guys start digging in, reading the book of Revelation to prepare. Read Jesus' teachings on the Olivet Discourse, uh, which is Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. And then if you want to really get a good foundation, you need to start studying some of the minor prophets, minor and major prophets, all the prophets, because um, this is the culmination of everything that was written in the, in the prophetic word of the Old Testament. So, uh, hey, we're getting a little bit of feedback on this. If we could drop it down just a little bit. Thank you. All right. So today uh, we, we have been kind of looking at some of the different perspectives of Christmas. A few weeks ago, Cameron Ames, our student pastor, shared about the perspectives of the shepherds as they uh, worshipped the, the good news was, was given to them through the angelic witness, and they worshipped uh, the, the baby Jesus on that first Christmas morning. Uh, last week, we looked at Simeon, this devout man of God who was looking for the salvation of the Lord. He was able to see him with his eyes, hold him in his hands. It was just a, an amazing um, uh, promise that God had given Simeon. And so today, I thought we would look at it from a little bit of a different perspective, and that's going to be the perspective of the Magi, the wise men. And uh, as I started digging into this passage and started digging into this whole story, it's almost like it was a thread. You ever, you ever get a thread on your sweater or something, and you just start to pull it, and what happens? It just unravels, right? It just, it just keeps more and more, it just keeps coming and coming and coming, and it won't stop. And that's why I started pulling on this thread a little bit about who are the Magi, and what's the star of Bethlehem, what's the star of Christmas, and what, what is all this stuff going on, and do we really understand it? Is, are our nativity scenes accurate? <laughs> Not really. So the original night of Christmas, Christmas of Jesus' birth, the virgin of first Christmas night, the Magi weren't there. They weren't part of that original manger scene, okay? And we're going to see that here in just a little bit. So, I mean, I, I get it. I love nativity scenes, and we're trying to kind of put all those pieces together. But if you see a nativity scene with the Magi there on the first Christmas night, it's not accurate. Amen. We're going to see that here in just a minute. So... The other thing that we have going on is this idea of what is, this, what is the star of Bethlehem? What is the Christmas star? Now, for those of you who love astronomy or you are observers of the stars or maybe you're just interested in that kind of thing, something unique is going to happen tomorrow night. Does anybody know what it is? So we have a conjunction, right? We have a major conjunction tomorrow night. This, in the, I think within the last 400 years, this will be the closest alignment of Saturn and Jupiter that we have seen, that we will be able to see. I think we're going to get a very clear night. I encourage you, right after sunset tomorrow night, this is December 21st, right after sunset, say around 6 p.m., if you go outside and look in the southwestern sky, 
you'll see this conjunction. It'll be a huge, bright star. Because it'll be Saturn and Jupiter will be basically aligned in our vision, and it'll look like one massive star. And I've heard even some people on news channels and headlines, they're calling it the Christmas star, right? And I've heard a little bit about that. But obviously what we're going to see tonight here in the northern hemisphere, all the way over here in, in the United States, and we're able to observe this conjunction, this is going to be interesting tomorrow night. It really has little to nothing to do with what was happening that first Christmas night with the ancient star of Bethlehem. But it's a great segue into what we're going to learn today. Because just like Jupiter is part of this conjunction tomorrow night, and it's a significant conjunction, Jupiter was also part of some other things that were happening back at the turn of the millennia, back right around the time of Jesus' birth, that you're going to see did have something to do, in my estimation, with not just the birth of Jesus, the sign that signified the birth of the king of the Jews, but also the star of Bethlehem that the Magi were supposedly following as it led them, it went ahead of them to lead them westward so that they could find King Jesus, the Messiah, okay? So like I said, when I started getting into this passage of Scripture and when I started getting to, into this topic, I started pulling that thread. And guys, it's, a, it's an interesting sermon. I hope that I have time to get it all in. I mean, y'all know, know who I am. I, I, I get a little bit long-winded sometimes. I take all the time that I can possibly take. Stay with me today. There's some good stuff. There's some of the technical stuff that we may get into. I'm going to try to avoid that altogether. But guys, this story has a little bit of everything. It's got some cosmology which is the origin of the universe, the creation. It's got some astronomy, for those of you who appreciate the planetary motions and the sun, moon, and the stars and all the stuff that's happening in our solar system. It's got some history. You know, these are historical records. When you start reading the gospel accounts like Luke and Matthew, you know, you've got figures like Tiberius, and you've got figures like Quirinius, the governor, and you've got figures like King Herod. These were real historical people who lived in, in Judea back in the days of the birth of the Messiah. And so those names are significant because we have records that will trace back to those people and say, yeah, these are real people. This was not just made up in a vacuum, right? This is history. We also have a little bit of typology which is part of how the scripture will take a type or a picture and, and give it ultimate fulfillment or meaning, usually in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. There's symbolic um, um, imagery that's going on in this passage. There is mystery. There's a little bit of controversy. There's no good story without a little bit of controversy, right? So I'm not here to settle all the questions and answer all the, you know, the objections to this whole thing. There's prophecy, a lot of prophecy involved in here, not, with the, not just with the first coming of Jesus, but also with his second coming, Amen. okay? And more, more than anything else, I want to say it this way, there is a lot of Christology. Now, what do I mean by Christology? It's the study of the person and work of who? Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the star of Bethlehem or the Christmas star, it is centered and focused and always on the one person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we call it Christology, because Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Okay? So we're going to try to do our best. I'm going to do my very best to put all of this together. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm just going to read through verse 6. 
maybe seven, I don't know. I'm just going to work through it, and we'll just get, get as far as we can go. Number, uh, Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Notice, it was after Jesus was born that the wise men came. And behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, and again, they went to Herod, and they're saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Because at that time, guess who he was? King of the Jews. When Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So this was no private matter. This was a very much a public event. And we'll get to more of that later. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they go back and they look at the prophet Micah, and they look up the scripture, and they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by are no means least among the rulers of Judah, from, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amen. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, okay, so then he pulls them to the side, and look at what, it do, what he does, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Okay? Now, stay with me, because here, I'm going to go ahead and say this off the top. We're dealing with two different astronomical phenomenon here, okay? I'm going to try to help clear this out, okay? Let me just go ahead and lay it out. There was a star or a conjunction, something similar to what we're going to see tomorrow night, that happened on the night that Jesus was born. The wise men perceived this. This is fast forward in time a little bit. We'll talk about how much time. Now they're in Bethlehem, excuse me, they're in Jerusalem. They're seeking the birth, they're seeking the Savior, the King of the Jews. And look at what it says. And so as he sent them to Bethlehem, look at what it says. And as they went on their way, verse 9, and behold, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Guys, this is a different astronomical phenomenon, okay? And I'll tell you why I believe that in just a minute. And again, I'm not here to answer every controversial objection, but I'm trying to help you get a little bit of a timeline that we'll dig into a little more deeply. But the first thing I want to do is to set the stage. So we got the wise men from the east. We'll find out who they are. They're coming. They're following the star. They know this is the, the sign of the king of the Jews. There's a good reason they know that. They come to Herod. He's troubled because now this is an immediate threat to him and his kingdom. And he's trying to figure out things as well. Hey, guys, tell me again, when did you first see the star? I need to find out exactly when that happened. And there's a reason he has for that too. We'll find out later. And then they go to the place where Jesus was, which was in Bethlehem. And, of course, we know the story. It says they came and they rejoiced. And then they fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. First thing I want to share with you about this story is this. From the beginning, God has created the heavenly bodies to serve as prophetic signs. From the very beginning. So this story has its origin in Genesis, just like every, just about every other doctrine in the Bible. So flip with me real quick. Genesis chapter 1. Look at what it says on creation week. Genesis 1.14. This is day 4. 
And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Now, this is very important and foundational to what we're going to understand is happening right here in the story. You see, God has established his own prophetic calendar. Now, let me tell you something. It's comforting to me to know that tonight, around 5, 5.30, the sun will go down. And in the morning when I wake up, the sun will what? Come up again. That's what we expect, right? That's why we've been told for months now that there's going to be a planetary conjunction with Jupiter and Saturn on December 21st because we know that the reliability of the planetary motions are stable and fit. And said according to the laws of planetary motion and mechanics of the solar system and all this kind of stuff. And so it is a consistency. It's a rhythm. It's a cycle. We get used to it. There are patterns that God set up using the sun, moon, and the stars. So we get that. And there's comfort in understanding that, that the sun's going to rise tomorrow, which technically the sun isn't what, really rising, but we're what? <laughs> we're, we're rotating on our axis. And so, again, this is all interesting stuff. But what I want to show you this morning is that there's a particular word that the Lord uses in Genesis 1 that is, I think, significant to understanding all of redemptive history. And that is the word seasons in verse 14. Look at what it says. And let them be for signs. And this is a sign. The Messiah was born. And let them be for seasons. Now, that does not necessarily mean summer, spring, winter, and fall. This is a particular word that the Bible uses called moed or the moedim. What are the Moed? Well, you have to go to Leviticus chapter 23 to find out that there are seven Moeds that the Lord established in his prophetic calendar. But we call them something else. We don't call them seven seasons. We call them the seven appointed feasts of the Lord. We in the Christian church today, we are mostly overall ignorant of the seven feasts of the Lord. You need to be very familiar with the seven feasts of the Lord. Okay. Matter of fact, you could go back even further to say that the Sabbath day was set as a sign, as the day of rest. I'll put it to you this way. Here's my interpretation of the creation week. Six days, the work on the seventh day, he what? He rested. 6,000 years from the beginning of creation, from Adam and Eve, 6,000 years of human history have transpired. We're getting close to the end of that close of the 6,000th year. Jesus comes back and he gives us one day of rest. The day of the Lord is like... A thousand years. A thousand years is but a day. Amen. We have a day, a thousand year period, which is called the millennium, that I believe is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the week, the seventh day of rest. You see, it's all patterned after Genesis. But this word right here is even more specific, and it is talking about God's prophetic calendar. So let me just give you an overview real quick, because this is important, about the feast of the Lord, okay? There are seven feasts of the Lord, four in the spring, three in the fall. All right, you have Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, followed by the Feast of Firstfruits. This was all established with the Exodus, the children being delivered out of Egypt. Then 50 days later, you have the Feast of Shavuot, which is also called the Feast of Weeks, or we call now today Pentecost. Are y'all tracking with me now? Here's what's significant about the first four fall feasts. Jesus Christ died... On Passover, he was laid in the tomb on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he was resurrected from the grave on the Feast of Firstfruits. And the Holy Spirit came on the Feast of 
Pentecost, all four spring feasts were fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus. Which should tell us that possibly and probably the three fall feasts also have some type of prophetic significance, which they do, and they're actually connected primarily to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will fulfill the fall feast, I believe, in his what? Second coming, but I'm not going to talk to you about that today. But what are the fall feasts? Let me tell them to you real quick. You have the Feast of Trumpets. On the first day of the seventh month, there will be a Feast of Trumpets, followed by a 10-day period of mourning, led to Yom Kippur, which is the holy day of Israel on the calendar, Yom Kippur, okay? The Day of Atonement. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the final feast of the prophetic calendar year. Now, what in the world does all this have to do with the Star of Bethlehem? you're going to be surprised. It has a lot to do with it. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But understand that when the Lord said in Genesis 1.14 that he made the sun, moon, and the stars to serve as appointed feast seasons that he gave them to us so that we could track his prophetic calendar and be more prepared and aware of what God is doing in his prophetic timeline. Those feasts are, are significant and they're very key. But like all good things, what happens is, is that that which God made for the good, the devil comes and takes it, and he tries to take it and corrupt it and pervert it and steal it. Amen. That's where we have now the roots of pagan idolatry, that we see that it has taken hold of all of the world. And so you have, over time, what happened is that God set up the sun, moon, and the stars to serve as signs that he would communicate certain things through them, but then man took that under the influence of demonic um, gods and Satan and pagan idolatry, and they corrupted that thing and turned it into the worship of the things that are created instead of the worship of the creator. Like, he's the creator. He created the sun, moon, and the stars. He created the angels. He created everything, both spiritual and physical, on heaven and in earth. He created all of it, but what pagan idolatry does, it begins to worship the created things instead of the creator. And that's exactly what we saw over human history. Worshiping of the create, creation rather than the creator. So why do you think pagans were so obsessed? If you go back and study ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia and China and India and all the ancient pagan civilizations, all of them have one thing in common. They're knowledgeable and obsessed with the planetary motions. They associated their gods with the what? Sun, moon, and the stars. And they believed that the sun, moon, and the stars determined their destiny. They believed that if they were going to have a good crop for that year, then they had to do something to present offerings to the sun, moon, and the stars and the gods that are associated with them. They bowed down and worshipped the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of these things. They began to associate. Their whole lives revolved around this, this whole false system, religious system, and they took it and perverted it. They were giving themselves fully over to the power and the control of these false gods. And so that's why they developed these complex systems of worship. And when you go look at the ancient temples and the ziggurats and all of the Stonehenge and all those places all over the earth, guess what one thing they always do? They're always aligned with what? The stars, the winter solstice, the spring equinox, the summer solstice. They're always aligned with the planetary motions. Why? Because they're worshiping those things. They're worshiping the creation instead of 
the creator. The Lord uh, God told Israel to beware of that. Listen to what he says. Beware, Israel, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, that you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. These are things that the Lord your God has given to all the nations of heaven. The Lord said, you're not supposed to be like these pagan nations who are worshiping the sun, moon, and stars. Don't be like them. In Deuteronomy 17, it says this, For if there is anyone found among you, man or a woman, who does evil in the sight of the Lord and is transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them or the sun and the moon or any of the host of heaven which I have forbidden and you hear of it, you shall bring this person to your gates This man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman with stones to death. That's how serious the Lord took the perversion of what was happening with the signs in the heavens. He established it for his purposes. Man, led by the influence of Satan, has corrupted and perverted it for satanic purposes. That's what all of that is really about. And so that's why you see when we get to Matthew chapter 2 and we're introduced to these guys called Magi, we need to find out who are these guys. So let's give a little bit of a time and attention to who are the Magi, okay? The Magi were Gentile astrologers. Notice I did not say astronomers. There's a difference. Johannes Kepler was an astronomer. Galileo Galileo, whatever his name is, he was an astronomer. Copernicus, we got Sir Isaac Newton. These were men of science. They they understood math and the geometry and the planetary mechanics of of the solar system. Guys, these are astronomers. There is a legitimate science called astronomy that is just simply this study of the motion of the sun, moon, and the stars and the planets. That's a legitimate study. Astrology, on the other hand, is when you begin to try to predict and divine the future or determine other people's life outcomes based upon the movement of the sun, moon, and the stars. That's when you open up your newspaper and you say, hey, are you a Sagittarius or a Virgo or a Leo or what are you? None of it. Because that's astrology. By the way, don't, don't do horoscopes. Don't do that. That's, that's satanic, demonic astrology. That's what that is. That has nothing to do with your future. Okay, that's just giving the enemy an open door for him to come and operate and somehow in, integrate into your life. Don't do astrology. That's what these guys were probably well-versed in under, uh, discerning and determining the future and giving omens and predicting future and all that kind of stuff through the motions of the sun, the moon, and the stars. So these magi, listen, they were Gentile astrologers who were looking for the king of the Jews. Now, this is fascinating to me. What in the world would a Gentile astrologer who's wrapped up, his whole life is wrapped up in pagan worship. Why would he be looking for the king of the Jews? And we'll see in a minute, it's because these guys were unique. But let's find out what this means, this word magi, wise men. Who were the wise men, okay? This was a name given to the Babylonians. Everything wicked, by the way, starts in Babylon. Everything wicked starts in Babylon. We're going to, we'll see that in the book of Revelation. Two whole chapters devoted to the destruction of Babylon, and we're supposed to rejoice when we see the fire burning Babylon once and for all. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But these were the Babylonians. They were called Chaldeans. Eventually, they became the Medes and the Persians. And so these wise men, this is what they were doing. 
For the teachers, the priests, the physicians, the diviners, astrologers, they were interpreters of dreams, the augurs, soothsayers, sorcerers, and wizards. Okay, so they had the whole spiritual um, context to be the, the wise men, the interpreters, the, the one, you know, they were the, really the ones pulling the strings in these kingdoms. They, they, would, they would counsel and inform the king about what to do. Kings would say, hey, I don't know what to do. I had a terrible dream. Let's go, okay, bring your wise men, bring your magi. They're going to come tell you what, what to do. So they were really the ones that had great influence in these ma- massive empires. Now, just as a side note, another reason why some of our nativity scenes may not be totally accurate. Do you know the scripture doesn't say anything that there were three wise men? It just doesn't say it. There were more than one wise men, but they gave three gifts Frankincense, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I guess that's over time, traditionally, that began to be associated with three different wise men. We don't know how many wise men. Matter of fact, I believe this was, a, this was a, an entourage. Think about it. These were guys who were probably very high up in the east, in Babylon, Chaldea, Persia, wherever they came from. They were probably men of royal status, and they're coming to Jerusalem, and I don't think it was just a couple of guys on a, on a camel. I believe we're talking about an entourage. They probably had a great company of people with them, a caravan perhaps, and there could have been multiple wise men. It could have been two, three, four, a dozen, I don't know. It could have been dozens of people with them again because that came into Jerusalem and Herod and all of Jerusalem became disturbed because of this. This was a great commotion. This was not some subtle entrance into Jerusalem. These guys came in probably with some type of a grand entrance. We're here to find the king of the Jews and what? We want to worship him. So these guys were significant. So what, how is it that these magi who would have been wrapped up in all of this pagan idolatry, why are they looking for the king of the Jews? I'm going to try to keep this short and simple. Probably because of one man that we can trace all the way back to Babylon. Anybody know who his name is? Daniel. Listen to what the Bible says about Daniel. Daniel 2. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men in Babylon. Daniel chapter 5, talking of Daniel. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, he made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers because he had an excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. And it says, now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Daniel served on the royal court of Babylon and Medo-Persia for nearly 70 years. And guess what, guys? He was the top dog. He was the chief prefect in Babylon for a long, long time, which means that he had sure contributed writing into the libraries of all these places. He interpreted history and signs and divination, all this kind of... Daniel was doing it from the true perspective of the one true God. He had a tremendous influence in Babylon. And I believe there was a remnant of magi who were familiar with Daniel's work, and they're probably tracking with some of the things that Daniel had said and saw that it was coming to pass, and these things were being fulfilled. And they're like, he was a true prophet of God. He was a true wise man. And so I think they had influence from Daniel, which is why they're paying attention to what's happening around the birth of the Messiah. So you have a Daniel connection there that's very, very interesting. Daniel would have been familiar with passages like Numbers 24 that says this, I see him now, but not, excuse me, I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not yet. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it will crush the head of Moab. You see, these were prophecies over time that Daniel would have been familiar with, and these magi, I believe, were familiar with because of the influence of Daniel. Now, let's talk about the star itself. The star of Bethlehem most likely involved both natural and supernatural phenomena around the time of Jesus' birth. Okay? I'm going to do my best. This is where things are going to get a little bit technical. I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to get into all the the, the knee-deep grass right here because this is something, if if you're interested in this, you can go and read it yourself. I'm going to give you a resource right now. The best, most comprehensive work on this whole subject right now that I could find is a a book written by a man named Ernest Martin. If you want to write it down, it was written in 1996, Ernest Martin. And it's called this, The Star of Bethlehem, The Star That Astonished the World. It's free. You can look it up on the internet. You can download the PDF. You can read it right there. It's not too technical. It's pretty self-explanatory. But he, he did all the research. You know, he matched, was the king of, you know, was Tiberius Caesar and the Quirinius the governor and the death of King Herod and could all these things have really lined up with what he believes to be the true Christmas star and what was really happening with these magi as they came to Bethlehem. Okay, so again, Ernest Martin, the star of Bethlehem, the star that astonished the world. I'm going to refer to him several times in this next little part, so you guys stay with me. Now, there's probably a natural explanation for the Bethlehem, star of Bethlehem, and I do think there's perhaps a supernatural explanation as well. Okay? And I'll just lay it out there to you. What we're about to go through now is the natural explanation. When the Magi reached Jerusalem, remember, and and Herod told them that the the child was to be born in Bethlehem, as they left Jerusalem to head towards Bethlehem, it says that the star appeared again, and they rejoiced. Did y'all catch that? So to me, and then it says that somehow the star maybe rested over the place where the baby lay or where the child was. That sounds a little supernatural to me, okay? So I don't think it has to be either or. Maybe, maybe it's both, okay? But this is, what, this is what's happening. Let's get, a, let's get a timeline real quick. So this guy, Ernest Martin, he goes into great detail. And here's his, here's his thesis or his theory, okay? He began to, now, let me say this. We have computer programs now. NASA can retrace the planetary motions all the way back as far as we, we can go. Do you all understand that? So they can tell you when there were eclipses, when there were conjunctions. They, they know that now because of the, the stability and consistency of the planetary motion. So now we have computer programs that can go back and test this stuff. All right, I just need to say that. So that's what he's, he's basing a lot of his research on that. So he goes back to around 3 B.C. And in 3 B.C., there's a lot of unusual uh, astronomical stuff happening. Okay? Um, there were... Um, Jupiter was involved in six different conjunctions in that one year. This is a conjunction, right? We're going to see tomorrow night. That year, Jupiter was involved in six different conjunctions. A lot of stuff was going on. So all these magi, they're like, man, this is, this is a big year. Something's happening, right? They're trying to interpret the stars. In September of 3 BC, we're going to find out that something happened in the zodiac with Virgo, Now, y'all know the 12 signs of the zodiac, right? Okay. Those things were also set into the stars by who? 
by God. Satan has perverted it, but there is a true meaning to the Zodiac. I don't have time to get into that either. But if you're interested, D. James Kennedy, he's the guy to go read about that. The true meaning of the Zodiac. Basically, there's the story of the gospel in the what? In the stars. Okay, on 3 B.C., September, something amazing happened in Virgo. That sign in the Zodiac. And that's what we're going to get to at the end, okay? And then around 2 B.C., the wise men would have arrived in Jerusalem to discover the place of the birth of the king of the Jews. Okay, so that's kind of your, your overall timeline. And let's kind of break it down just a little bit, okay? So let's first talk about what was the star of Bethlehem? What were the wise men following? This guy, Ernest Martin, basically says this, all right? Jupiter is the king of the planets. The, the ancients recognized Jupiter as the largest planet. It was the king of the planets. Something was happening with Jupiter around this time, all right? Jupiter would have had these conjunctions, and then it would have began a progression through, the, uh, the progression through space where the wise men who were in the east would have tracked it always going to the what? To the west. And so this star Jupiter, this planet was leading the wise men all the way to Bethlehem. And then when they reached Jerusalem, and this was, would have been in the winter of around 2 B.C., almost a year later after Jesus was born, the planet Jupiter stopped its progression and started to what? Go back. So y'all understand retrogression and, and that the, the stars move this way and then they go back the other way, right? You see the moon on this side and then you wake up and then it's over here, right? I mean, like all these things are happening. But what it would have seemed like to these wise men is that they had followed Jupiter, this unique planet, all the way to Jerusalem. And then when, when they finally arrived there, it stopped. It stopped its western progression and started what? And started to go back. So that may be a physical explanation as to how they would have been following technically a star all the way to Jerusalem. But that's just the half of it, okay? That's just the half of it. The next thing that we need to see is that this is not, as I said before, the same planetary conjunction that is associated with the birth of Jesus. So this would have been something different. Nonetheless, they knew enough to know that we got to go to Jerusalem. We got to go west. And we're going to follow Jupiter. Every morning when they woke up, they saw Jupiter in the western sky, and they followed it. And finally they got there, and they found out, at least we got this far, where's the, the king of the Jews? And they found him in Bethlehem. Do you know by the time the Magi reached baby Jesus, he probably was somewhere between 6 and 18 months old. He was not a young baby at that time. They're living in a house by the time the Magi find them. They're not in a, they're not in a cave anymore or in a manger. They're living in a house. And the word used for Jesus as a child was not the, use, the word used for infant anymore. It was the word used for a toddler. The Greek word changed. And then we know, of course, that the, it took the Magi many, many months to get to Jerusalem. So again, by the time they get there, the child is probably, I'm thinking, around 18 months old. He's probably running around the house as the Magi come. And there they worship him. There they present their gifts to him. Okay? So that kind of gives you a better understanding of this timeline is that what was really happening and what kind of star the Magi were following when they came to Jerusalem. Now, again, there could have been an angel that helped guide them the rest of the way. I don't know. All that kind of stuff, that's up in the air, right? But let's get to the next one. 
There certainly was an astronomical connection to the prophetic sign of the virgin birth. Now, remember what I told you earlier. It's important, guys, and y'all stay with me because this is going to get good at the end. There were two signs. One was the night he was what? Born. Where were the Magi the night Jesus was born? They're still in the east. They're still in Babylon. They get to Jesus about maybe a year and a half later, and there's another sign that they're following. This is, I believe, what is the Christmas star, the star of Bethlehem. But we got to pay attention. What was the original sign that told the Magi that the king was born? And that's where it gets fascinating according to Ernest Martin. Y'all turn with me to Revelation 12. So we've gone from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation 12. Listen to what it says. And a great sign. Sound familiar? A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. With the moon under her feet. And on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And and another sign in heaven, behold, a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Guys, this is a prophecy that John is actually looking back on the birth of Messiah. He's given us some details that we didn't have before. She was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and to her throne. Who is the child? This is Jesus. Who is the virgin? It's Mary. It just so happens, however, that the first sign in the Jewish zodiac is Virgo. Does anybody know what Virgo stands for? The virgin. There's a story in the zodiac, the 12 signs of the zodiac, and the virgin is the first one. And this whole thing came to pass on the day that Jesus was born. There was something happening in the stars. There was a sign in what? In heaven, and it included Virgo. And it included the sun and the moon and these other 12 stars. And Jupiter was there too. Just like I told you earlier, Jupiter was involved in this sign. But again, without having to get too technical, I want you to listen to what um, Ernest Martin says about the sign Virgo. Now, these magi would have known that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, was to be born of a what? Virgin. Do we remember what it says in uh, Matthew 1? Listen. When jo- um, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 7, behold, I give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. So the Magi knew it involved a virgin. They're looking up at the stars, Virgo. They see a bunch of things start to happen because she's clothed with the sun. The sun was in the middle of Virgo. Her feet were over the moon. She had these perfect astronomical alignments going on with 12 stars in the crown of her head. All of this, again, can be done through the research of NASA and all their their computer programs. So there was a massive astronomical anomaly taking place in Virgo around September of 3 B.C. Okay? Now, do y'all know that Jesus was not born on December 25th? Do we all understand that right? Most people understand he probably wasn't born December 25th. 
but nobody really knows when he was born. I'm going to give you my best guess right here. Based on Ernest Martin and his evaluation, I want you to hear this real quick. 3 B.C., September 11th. Listen to this. 3 B.C., September 11th, for a 90-minute window, Revelation chapter 12 happened. Virgo was clothed with the sun. The moon was at her what? Feet. There were 12 stars around her head. And for 90 minutes, all that happened at one time. On September 11th, 3 B.C., guess what? That just so happens to be the Feast of Trumpets. On the Feast of Trumpets in 3 B.C., on September 11th, all of the astronomical signs that we just read in Revelation chapter 12 happened in history, and it just so happened to be right around the time of whose birth? Jesus' birth. And I think that Martin does a very good job, and I haven't found anybody else to, to dispute this so far, that that more than likely is indeed the very day that Jesus Christ was born. And the Magi saw it, and they knew it, and they recognized it for what it was, and that's when they headed to Jerusalem because they knew the King of Jews had been born. Amen. And just like all the other fulfillments of Jesus' life, death, and ministry were on the feast days, I also believe he was born on one of the what? Feast days. And it just so happens, is that a coincidence, that that particular day when the sign of Revelation 12 is happening, happened to fall on one of the Jewish feast days? Remember, Jesus, God said, I give them to you for signs and for seasons, appointed feasts. I believe Jesus was born on the feast of trumpets, 3 B.C., September 11th. Now, all that's fun and good, but like my good friend Bob Rick said, it's not as important when Jesus was born. It's just important that he was born. Amen. I can say amen to that all day. This is all fun and good, but I do want you to see that there was something going on in the stars. So the Magi recognized it. John, the apostle, in the book of Revelation, he affirms it. And then here we see in the astronomical records of what was happening in our solar system, all this stuff lines up. It all connects. So guys, again... I can't get into all the details for the sake of time, but I got two more quick things I want to share with you because this stuff is important, more important than anything that we've heard today. Number one is that just like there were signs in the heavens that accompanied the first coming of Jesus Christ, guys, there will be signs in the heavens accompanying his second coming. We should lift up our eyes and pay attention to what's going on. Amen. Number one, just to praise God for the beauty of the creation that he's given us, guys. But pay attention to the sun. Pay attention to the moon. Pay attention to the, the orbit. Pay attention to the stars. Pay attention to those things. There's, some, there's things happening, okay? But let me just share with you one passage of Scripture. Listen to what it says in Revelation 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and beheld. There was a great earthquake. The sun became black. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds her winter fruit when it's shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island were removed from its place. And of course, this is when the Lord Jesus returns. Amen. So there's always going to be astronomical stuff associated with the second coming of Jesus Christ, just like it was with the first. But what does that have to do with you and me? This is the application that I think we need to take away from this whole thing, right? Because I love getting into the mystery and the controversy and the astronomy and all the interesting details. But at the end of the day, how does that affect you and me today? And this is how I think we need to walk away with this. 
Most importantly, we have been saved to shine like the stars forever. Amen. We have been saved to shine like the stars forever. Jesus said, so let your light shine before men so that when they see your good deeds, they'll pat you on the back. No, 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 it doesn't say that. No, so let your light shine before men so that when they see your good deeds, they may what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what I'm talking about. So guys, when you were saved, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ today, God put a, a mark on you. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He put his light in you. You are now the light of Christ, and we are to shine in a dark world. And here's the thing. As the world around us grows darker, our light begins to shine that much brighter. That's where we are. Just like the stars in the heavens were to be signs for the, for the Lord's coming and all of that and everything in between, guys, we also are to be signs. We're like to be billboards. Think about it. We're walking billboards. We're to represent who? Jesus Christ in a dark world, a, a world that is hopeless, a world that is lost, a world that is in darkness. Guys, we're to shine so brightly for all to see that they would understand that there's something different. There's the living God living inside of us and that we share the love of Jesus Christ to such an extent that all of them want to know him personally. That's what I'm talking about. Listen to what Daniel says. Speaking of the last days, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 13. It says, Then the Son of Man will come, and he will gather all out of his kingdom that causes sin and lawbreakers, and he will throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Guys, are you a sign? What message are you sending? If you're a billboard, if you're a walking sign, what are you portraying to the rest of the world? What are you representing to the rest of the world? What are you emulating from your life? What is it that people see in you? That's what this whole story is about. That until Jesus comes again, this is our opportunity as his witnesses and his people to be a light to the world, to share the love of Christ, to shine like the stars as a sign, as a symbol to the world that we are different and that we have something that everybody else is looking for. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. So I'm going to ask Dion, Christina, you guys come on and make your way up. We're going to sing one more song. I wish I could get in more. Look, I had like 20 pages of notes. Trust me. I cut this thing way back, okay? There's a lot of technical stuff in there. Again, if you're interested, check out that book, Ernest Martin, The Star That Shocked the World, Astonished the World. Fascinating read. Interesting. He does a great job. But here's your practical application. You ready? May we seek, listen, listen to me. May we seek the Son of God more diligently than these pagan Gentiles. These were pagan Gentiles. They had no business looking for the king of the Jews. And they went to great lengths to find him. And when they found him, they bowed and worshipped him. Do we seek Jesus like that? Are we looking for him that diligently? May we seek Jesus more diligently than the Magi, and may we shine as bright as the stars 
against the backdrop of an ever-darkening world around us before the Lord Jesus returns. So maybe you learned a few things about the Magi, the Star of Bethlehem, the Christmas star. But listen, guys, let me just throw this out there as as, as they get ready. Tomorrow, if you have time, if you're with your family, you may be by yourself, right there after sunset, go look to the southwestern sky, and as you see Jupiter and Saturn in that planetary conjunction, why don't we all, if we're able to do it, if we're in the, in the vicinity to be able to do that, let's all stop and let's just give glory to God. Amen. Let's say a prayer for ourselves and for our families and for our communities and say, Lord, help us to so shine in a way that brings you glory. Let your light shine through me, Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you, God, for being the the king and creator of the universe. And thank you that you have promised to come again. Not that so that we can worship the creation like the pagans do, but so that we can worship who? The creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for all of this, Lord. Thank you that you have, you're the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim the work of your hands. But Lord, all around us, the creation is just a, a picture. It's just evidence, Lord. It's just part of your handiwork that should give us a response of worship as we glorify you for who you are, the king and creator and savior and redeemer, Lord. And so help us to lift up our eyes for our redemption draws near, Lord, so that when we see all these things taking place, we know that you are near even at the very door. Help us to seek you like never before, God. And then may you allow your light to shine through us so that all the world would see in an ever-growing, darkening world so that there is hope in a dying world. And you are that hope. We pray all these things in Jesus' perfect and wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank-